0: Hello and welcome to the MacFab Engineering Podcast, and we're your hosts, Parker Doman and Stephen Craig, and this is episode number 79. So I'd like to give a shout out to a listener that wrote in, uh, Sam from Australia, emailed in earlier this week. He's a uh, electrical systems lead for the local solar race team that they have down there called Cle- Energy Team Arrow. Cleanergy? Energy. Something like that. Well, it would be Cleanergy if there was an A. It's C L E N E R G Y. Clenergy. 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 Um, he's designing a system that can control up to basically six times 50 watt loads, which is a lot of power. Yeah. And the board was only like in the pictures that he sent was only like two inches by three inches. Hmm. But he's probably confused since I used inches. <laughs> um, I don't know what that'd be. It'd be like five centimeters. No.
1: Six centimeters?
0: It's 2.54 centimeters per
1: inch. So, See, yeah, it's 5 it's centimeters by,
0: yeah, whatever. Um, and it also has like CAN bus and stuff like that so it can monitor what it's doing. Mm-hmm. And the whole idea is to reduce how much wiring they have in their solar race car to lower the weight. The fact that they're going through that much work to lower wiring, w- wiring wiring rate uh weight Mm. in their vehicle is kind of impressive everything counts everything counts in a solar race car
1: yeah you put the skinniest smallest person
0: in there yeah cool but um one thing i want to know is is actually like how
1: light is this vehicle and how fast it goes i bet you it is very light and not very fast
0: (laughs) (laughs) so sam if if since you're a listener of the show uh Hit us up on Twitter or, or send them an email of how fast and maybe pictures of the race car. It'd that'd be cool. cool to see. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And how much wiring you actually save. Save. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Be like cool. a a weight difference. Oh, that'd be nice. Yeah, that'd be cool. Cool. Um,
0: so yeah, that's uh thanks Sam for writing in. Yeah, thanks, Sam. Um so that article I was talking about last week and gave a presentation on, it's not done yet. The article about uh how to turn on or off your device. Yeah. Um, so basically I had to fix a lot of stuff today, uh, this week at Macram and this, basically, this, took... yeah, this has been a, uh, um, a wrench turning week. Yeah. <laughs> um, fortunately he didn't have any like machines down or anything, but it still was like a brutal week. And so I didn't get the article done. It didn't help that WordPress decided to cut out like half my work on Tuesday. That doesn't help. Yeah. I mean, I went to go upload an image. And the image upload froze. Yeah, yeah, and I lost all my work, oh. at least up to that point. That's painful. Yeah.
1: So you'll so you'll have it out soon.
0: It should be out tomorrow. Okay, cool. When this oh. it'll be after this this podcast lands. Um,
1: A- anytime after this podcast lands. Yeah, anytime <laughs> after this podcast
0: lands, the article will be done.
1: Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, and I finally got
0: my Jeep mostly back. Together, which for those who've been listening, this is a year in the yeah, middle yeah yeah I bought i I just put the hard top on last weekend I bought that hard top a week uh a year ago like almost to the day
1: yeah and <laughs> the, the the hard top we brought it over to my shop yeah sprayed that and it sat there for like a month or and a half. half yeah and then it, it basically
0: went to my storage shed until I got the rest of the Jeep ready for the top yeah. It's been a while, um, but that's not what I want to talk about. I want to talk about wiring, in vehicles. Ooh. and vehicles. It is actually kind of what what Sam does, um, and I want to talk about the turn signals. Except Jeep isn't going through a lot of effort to get rid of. Wires. No, I've i probably added like four hundred pounds of steel to that thing. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And so yeah, so the turn signals on the Jeep are kind of interesting. In the mid nineties, there was this thing where. Um, they were adding basically amber lights to the sides of vehicles, like side markers. Mm-hmm. And the law is kind of like funky on whether or not they should blink or not blink or what pattern they should blink in. Okay. Um. Like the dot. Uh, the dot rules that our uh, DMVs and stuff have to follow. Hmm. Um. And so. Basically, is I how the law is written. Um. And in most states, is only the front blinker needs to blink, and the side marker just has to light up when you have the headlights on at night. Okay. Um, but in the mid-90s, when the law was kind of new, they would blink the side marker, or sometimes they would alternate. The The front would blink and the side would blink. And it would, that it would seems alternate. confusing. But that's actually less wiring to make it work that way. Okay. Yeah, because what they do is the side marker... Um, is isolated from ground through the front turn signal. Filaments. Wait. How? Yeah, so, so there's a I, I have a, the schematic. Okay. Uh, so go if you're listening, go on to the blog and go look at the picture. So I'll have the official schematic. So, that so is,
1: Parker's given me a printout of this. Printout. And this is really I, I've I've looked at this for a second. So this is really <laughs> my first time to see it also. Yeah. And so we'll
0: look at the bottom right hand side. Okay. Which is the the right side marker and and, and uh, turn slash park signal, right? And the let, other side is just the left side. Let me just comment real quick that this looks like garbage. Yeah, it's really bad. I think this, because most people work or most mechanics don't like electronics, and it's because how schematics are written in service manuals. Yeah, this is yeah. awful to look at.
1: You know, uh, okay, so funny enough, my, my uh, little bit of a side note, my father has an old uh, 72 Yamaha Enduro. It's a, it's a, gosh, 75cc little motorcycle. And in the service manual, they have the entire electrical wire, wiring diagram on a two-page fold-out. One of those ones <laughs> that, like, double folds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? They put all of the electronics for the entire bike and remember this bike even in 72 was street legal so it had turn signals uh and it has front and rear lights but it also has the magneto and it has all the other Mm -hmm. the spark generator and all that and they put it all on one triple size page and it is just packed with with lines going everywhere it looks like this it looks like this this your your jeep thing here and it's
0: terrible that's two pages right the 99 my 99 jeep has like about seventy pages of wiring diagrams. Of wiring diagrams, not including the connector diagram. So it has a con- like all the connectors have pinouts. Yeah. which is really nice. And then they have one for splices. So where the splices are in the wiring harness, so there's a whole section for that. And there's a whole section for where ground points are at. Ooh, official ground points for the vehicle
1: it's just a big old wad on the chassis somewhere, right? Yeah. Well, it's all over the place. It's where they, oh, like. Oh, there's a, there's a there's a handful of wads. Yeah, so,
0: you, <laughs> like, actually, if you go on this, it'll say, at the bottom right corner, it says G103. Mm-hmm.
1: So you can go look oh, that's, up that's G103. The, that's a ground point.
0: Ground point, And so you can go, and it actually says the page, 8W155, where you can go and see where that ground point ties to the chassis. Is there an image of the ground point? Yes. Okay, okay. Yeah, so, so it's, it's. it's actually really good how these service manuals are laid out. The problem is the actual diagram. Yeah, yeah. This is confusing. Um, and it's just confusing of just how everything goes back and forth. So there's another image that someone I can't remember the guy's name. Um, DSLtorque.net is the website I found it off of. And they just wrote a, a simple image, basically, or, or drew a simple image of how this actually works.
1: In In, in a way that for an electrical engineer makes sense. Yes. Or n- no, actually, anyone. No. anyone. Anyone. Yeah, no. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, the,
0: as you can see, the side marker is not connected to ground.
1: No. It, no, it's it, connected across the terminals.
0: It, across the terminals of the front marker, which is the parking and turn signal. Yeah. And so, what happens is when you turn on the par- uh, parking lamp, 12 volts,
1: mm-hmm.
0: 12 volts goes into the park turn. Bulb, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then goes to ground. Right, right. Then it also goes through the front side marker there, and then the basically like the purple or red line. If you're on the left, purple on the right. The purple line goes into the filament of the bulb, and then grounds out. I see. I see. Yeah. So they're using the basically because that front turn signal has such a high wattage. It's like twenty four watts. And the turn signal is like three or four,
1: right? So you can turn it on without turning the other guy, Other on. filament on, exactly. Right. And then right. when when you have, so the... it's sort of cheating, but sort of not. Yeah. And so when um.
0: And so when you turn the turn signal on, it powers up both lines that go to the front bulb, right? Yep. Which makes the voltage potential across the side marker zero because twelve minus twelve is zero at right, that point. Right. Right. And so you have that turns off. And so you have an alternating on-off
1: blink, Gotcha. Just by controlling
0: effectively one
1: line. In yeah. A and
0: yeah. so basically you save one wire that has to run to those. Hey, holes. when it comes to something like this, that's a lot. Yeah, I mean, when you're building 10 million vehicles, you know, what, that's like 10 feet of wiring, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, um, it ends up being a lot of wire. Yeah, I'm going to check my notes, make sure there's nothing else. I... Oh, yes. Hey, how... Sa- Sam from Australia can tell you. Yes, one one wire can mean the difference,
1: yeah. right? <laughs> yeah.
0: Maybe in a solar vehicle, but in a three thousand six hundred pound Jeep, yeah. No, no. Um, but in terms of cost, so that's all good when you're using normal filament bulbs.
1: Uh oh. Okay,
0: so I switched over to LEDs. Yeah, which actually works. This circuit actually works really well with LEDs, except but... if you look at the actual Jeep schematic, mm-hmm. that signal, the turn signal, goes up into the instrumentation panel. So if you go up. They'll say instrumentation panel right. Oh, instrument instrument cluster. Cluster, that's right. And that's the indicator on your dash that tells you your, when your blinker is actually lighting up. So in modern cars, that's a different signal mm. that your your CPU is sending to your dash. Yeah. In the Jeep, that's an that's an actual wire that goes from that bulb to your dash. Oh, okay. It's an actual, yeah, physical connection wire. Um well what happens is since that's still a filament bulb, the diode drop that you see is like, you know, 1.7 volts. is enough to barely illuminate that, that dash indicator.
1: Oh, so, so it's you just get slightly, slightly on. on. It's
0: really annoying! <laughs> it's like, oh, it's not supposed to happen! Just add some resistance in line. You could, but then it makes it dim. And, or you have to hack the, the instrumentation panel at that point. Or modify the harness on the dash side, which mm. is annoying because you, take you can pull part. the dash, yeah. So I fixed it by basically... Making the side marker have its own ground. Oh, okay. Well, that works. That good. fixed it. So
1: instead of going across the line, yeah.
0: Instead of going across into the other diode, right? Which, well, in the normal bulb, it would be across the filaments. Whereas if it was an LED, it's across the diode, which creates that one point seven volt drop and messes everything up. So hmm. I was bit by diode now.
1: So welcome to the club. Yeah, welcome to the club with your synth. A <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> little more low tech, but. actually. Uh, you know what's funny? <laughs> so you were bit by the same general reason that I was bit by. Yes. Yeah, it was slightly it on. It was a diode to ground. Uh, yeah, it, yeah, and it was slightly on. What a punk! Yep. Uh, so I'm looking at your schematic here. Which or, one? I don't know uh, well, the 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 bad one. Oh, the Jeep one. The, the service manual schematic. Okay, I shouldn't say bad because you know it's
0: really good if you know the if thing you is, know this.
1: It's probably really the, easy the to first read. chapter eight
0: A. So at the top you say it's, you, you see eight W. Yeah. Eight A is the beginning of the logical. So W W is getting towards the end. Um, so eight so... A actually explains how to read everything, it's like ten pages long. <laughs> but it teaches you how to read like what all the symbols mean, how to what all the color cuz you see like, you know, BKYL, which is black with a yellow stripe. Mhm, yeah. All that stuff. So if you actually
1: read that, you can understand this really easily. Sure. I well okay, so uh, you have you read it? That 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 oh, first yeah. section? Oh, okay. Yeah. So help me out here. A a circle with an X through it is a lamp, right? Yes. Okay. So then the Oblong circles, the ones with X's on either side. Are those also lamps? There's a lance with two filaments in it. Okay, a dual filament lamp. Yes. Okay. So on this page, we've got one, two, three, four single filament lamps and two dual filament lamps. Yes. Now, what are the braces down at the bottom, like S122 and S125? Splices. Ah. So okay. that's
0: where multiple things come together and get spliced together.
1: And what's the mechanism for splicing? Is it like two, uh, Heat shrink. <laughs> okay. Okay. I was thinking more of like an actual terminal of some sort. No, no, no. Okay, in so... a
0: wiring harness for vehicles, it's usually
1: just heat shrink together. Okay. So that makes it easier. Now, you did kind of spill the beans to me earlier, and this is ridiculous, at least in my mind. So a dashed line on this represents what? A connector. Sometimes. So, so, sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. Um, on this, like...
0: If you look at where it says C ten, C110 and C107. Yeah. Those are connectors basically. Well, and those so are sh- parts of a connector. Parts of the connector, because it says like it'll say one, two, three for this C one ten. But there's there might be C 110 6, somewhere else on the schematic.
1: Sure. Okay, so then up on the top, we've got five, six. We've got six dashed. Squares modules. What is a module? Modules are
0: basically it's explained somewhere else. It's like a black box on the schematic. That's why it gives sp- you the page. And so you go to that page, like eight W fifty two three. Gotcha. And then
1: you can see the turn signal hazard switch. So in the PCB stuff. world, we would call that an off-page uh, connector yeah. or or a page-to-page connector. Page page. Yeah. Okay. okay. Like a bus or something. It looks similar to what you would see because it has. Up at the line, it's got that little V. Yep. that sort of looks like a page-to-page connector. Although, uh, in what I've been taught, everything's and what got I've that seen, V on this page, though. <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah, that, that is true. But but in in the PCB world, what I've always seen is page-to-page connectors happen on the left and right side of a page. And this happens everywhere, by the way. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. This looks so. Uh, you know, given you know, if if you had a, if you really had to dig through this it would probably make sense but just looking at it it's a cluster yeah so then why uh, this is a good question the very middle top dashed square looks like either a switch or relay of some sort uh and well okay yeah it says headlamp switch right next to it why if that is an off page thing would it have a switch diagram in there probably because it makes sense on this page Oh, okay. It tells you something about how this page operates. Yeah,
0: it, like how the park um, headlights and off work.
1: Got gotcha. you. Yeah. And Okay, so the thick lines are like bus lines in a way. The the you talking about the horizontal? The horizontal
0: Those are splice. splices. Lines. Yeah, those are splices cuz if you see the horizontal dark lines go across and it says S118.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Why do they have two different forms of splicing? Well, that's the same one. Same. Well, they have the brace form, and then they have just the whole oh, the, so the
0: brace form is for if there's like, like special things. So if you look at the brace, this is like the bottom right, which says S one, S one two five. Yeah. Where you say we see front fog lamps,
1: mm-hmm. and then
0: except front fog lamps. So those are options.
1: Ah. Like my vehicle
0: doesn't have factory fogs, so that splice doesn't exist. I got you.
1: Okay, well that makes sense. That's not that's not terrible. Yeah. And then grounds happen when a line touches a dot, right? Uh, I don't
0: know if that's a hard fast rule, but on this page, on this yes. page, it's yes. true. <laughs> um, usually, it's, it's
1: it's they start with G. Well, yeah, that that wouldn't make sense. Okay, so I feel confident enough to talk about this page.
0: <laughs> so we'll post that page up on the on the uh podcast notes especially and also with the simplified uh ms paint version as well
1: well and then ms paint version really only shows a small portion of the page
0: yeah it just shows the stuff that matters for the turn signals it doesn't show that wire going back up into your dash and affecting your Indicator light. You
1: know, I wonder if this kind of schematic has a name. It might just be automotive schematics. Yeah. Uh, I'll like, put it this way. Every single automotive schematic I've looked at is looks, this looks like looks that. Looks like this. But I've only really
0: looked at Chrysler schematics.
1: Well, but, Slash Mopar. But, you know, a Yamaha, um, Yamaha motorcycle, uh, their like service that. manual looks like this. I have a service manual for my – I have a Honda three-wheeler. Uh, an eighty-five Honda three wheeler and its uh, service manual looks like this too. Okay, In fact, bl- the service manual for my uh, two thousand one Honda um, uh, Cruiser motorcycle its service manual looks like this too. So I think this is kind of like a standard. Yeah, I'm looking up if there's an autom- automotive
0: schematic like trace
1: stencil. Looking it up on your computer phone.
0: Yeah, my computer phone.
1: Yeah, no, the, the, I I bet you, I bet you this is a standard that isn't taught in engine nerd school. You yeah, it's, know? it's like a mechanical. Or... Yeah, they probably go th- over all this crap in mechanic school. Which is funny because now we're trying to dig through it. But it, yes. it all makes sense. Yeah,
0: if you end. look up um, automotive schematic stencil, the first image, the symbols are mu- are very similar. They're not identical, sure. but they're very similar to on that page.
1: I I really, really like... The fact that they label the uh, wire color, yes, that is unbelievably awesome.
0: Well, that's the only way to actually figure stuff out in the. Oh, this would be terrible. Like when I rewired the steering column. Oh boy!
1: (laughs) How many different colors are on that?
0: Uh, like I think there's like forty wires in there.
1: Yeah, yeah, and there's a transportation panel, and so it's a whole bunch of black with yellows, and then yellows with black. Yeah, sure, <laughs> but they're like half and half. Yeah, yeah, uh, right, right, right. You'll never guess. Is yeah. it a black with yellow stripes or a yellow wire with black stripes? I don't know. Oh my gosh! So I was, I was um, the past couple of days I've been building a handful of Ethernet cables for um, our manufacturing floor, getting hardwired Ethernet to our manufacturing benches as opposed to using Wi Fi. Uh, and so, you know, building Ethernet cables is not terrible, but it is uh, with Cat six, you got eight. Pairs, yep. twisted pairs, and you got to bend them all out and do all that crap. Well, today we were, I don't know, we were we were jacking around with something, and uh, um, I, I tried to make a uh, what do they call a crossover cable, mm-hmm. where some of the wires get flipped. Yep. And for some reason, it took me like fifteen minutes of just staring at a piece of paper, and be like, what? Like, like, <laughs> how do you do this? Sometimes the simplest things get me just like, oh, er? you know. <laughs> <laughs> Channeling your
0: inner Tim Allen, huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the code word. Channeling your own Tim Allen. Your it's inner Tim Allen. Inner Tim, A- yeah. Tim Allen, yeah.
1: So that is the secret code word for this episode. Uh, if you email that code word in to podcast at macrofab.com along with your home address, we will shoot some cool MacFab swag your way. Yep. Channeling your inner Tim Allen. <laughs> <laughs> I I, I want to see how many of those we get. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, that's great.
0: Yep. So. So, yeah, that's that's been me wiring the Jeep. So You actually took some time off to do all this. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. The, uh, mainly the painting of the mainly car. Mainly the painting. Most of the wiring, it didn't take too long. Yeah. Because I basically just hacked off the old connectors and said, screw it, I'm grounding everything properly. Yeah, it works. So. Cool. Yeah, so... You've been working on a 3D printed thing. I have. You know, like cuz 3D printers are like the worthless tool,
1: right? You know, <laughs> I don't know how many times I have to say it. <laughs> well, okay, so I'm not printing. No, I'm not even going to go down it. Let me just go let me just tell my story. <laughs> so, uh the other day my my good buddy who lives actually up in Connecticut uh was talking to me about getting his beer brewing rig back up and running because now he has a basement up in Connecticut and uh, he has a place to brew and he was asking for my help with, Hey, you know, how do I convert my brew rig from a propane rig into an electric rig? So I was kind of stepping him through what I've done um, minus the whole, put all your electronics in a USPS box. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, uh, I did tell him about USPS that side USPS of it. Box. No, but, uh, and, and, and so we started talking about potentially collaborating on some, some ideas And um, one of the things he was really keen on doing was uh, making a a pump that is controlled in a loop with a uh, um, proportional valve and a flow meter Mm -hmm. in order to dose a particular uh, volume. So basically what he wants to do is fill one pot with water, and then he wants to take a portion of that water and move it to another one, but be generally accurate. And if you've ever really worked with volumes of liquids, it's hard to yeah, – act- without, like, weighing it or putting it in a measuring vessel, yeah. it's hard to get a specific amount unless you use a peristaltic pump. So it was really
0: funny when you mentioned that uh, earlier this week. I said parasitic pump. Yeah.
1: <laughs> 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 yeah, right.
0: When I said it, I'm like, wait, that's not right at Yeah, all. no, that's – Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it it leaches off some of your, your precious liquid. Yeah, precious liquid. Uh so yeah, a peristaltic pump, for those who don't know, it's a pump that uh effectively works by pinching a a hose yep. and uh and moving that pinch along a hose. Yeah. And that creates a vacuum and pushes liquid yeah, the, through. The cool thing about them is they're also self-priming because of that. That's right. You can uh you can run them dry They won't, that doesn't damage them, Uh, but they will self prime because they pull a vacuum, actually. And what's really nice about them. It's a a, uh, a displacement pump. Uh, That's a good way to think about it. That's right. Yeah. 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 And um, one of the cool things about them is uh, their their pumping action is based off of the rotation of a motor as opposed to the speed of it going. Yep. Uh, So you can actually run a uh, peristaltic pump. At zero RPM, effectively, you can they can go all the way down to effectively nothing and still pump, in a way. Uh, in okay. other words, you can run them very, very slow. So how does something pump at zero RPM? The, the the point is, you can go just above zero RPM and still pump. is, okay. is what I, what I'm getting at. Gotcha, here. gotcha, gotcha. But the thing is, they, it's like it's they like an electric
0: motor has like infinite torque at at zero RPM. Exactly. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Exactly. And someone like is going to be like. Angry on keyboard right now, it's like blah, I'm blah, posting blah, blah, blah. on Reddit.
1: These guys were wrong, <laughs> <laughs> which we have had before. Not Reddit, but we've had guys be like, "Yeah, you were wrong about that." Yeah, well, and I'm right. probably wrong about everything I'm saying right here. Regardless, uh, Parasological pump: uh, the rotation, the amount of liquid it it uh, doses is uh, based off of its radius and its rotation. And the so tube size. So it will, it will dose a certain amount of liquid every time it completes a rotation. So in other words, if you want a certain volume of liquid, you just rotate the motor a certain number of times and you get that. If you want it faster, just rotate it faster. Yep. Uh, so you can control both the flow rate and the 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 volume. throughput. Yep. Uh, and so we've... We thought like, oh, it'd be great. Let's go look at Amazon and let's go buy a peristaltic pump. Well, they suck uh, for the most part. Well, most of them are designed for medical. That's for right. For like well,
0: dosing medication into your Very IV.
1: small amounts yeah. and generally pretty slow. Like the the fast ones are like 100 milliliters a minute. Yeah. Uh, and we want something like seven gallons a, a minute. minute. Yeah, yeah we minimal. We want this thing ripping. <laughs> so I was like, why not just design one and print it on Parker's three D printer. Uh so we did. So I did, yeah, yeah. It took a Well couple I printed days. it. Stephen designed it. Yeah, yeah. I just I just Google sketched up some some crap and sent it to Parker and said, please print. Uh and so we spent the past couple of days printing some stuff and actually today got it done. Yep. Uh so there's there's a handful of, of simple issues, but this was kind of like a proof of concept yeah. version.
0: Yeah. Like your 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 you
1: actually did through th- designed a keyed shaft. That's right.
0: And so it, that tolerance
1: is too tight. Yeah, i gotta, gotta, go I got to shrink that a little bit. Luckily, the shaft prints in like no time flat. Yeah, it's
0: like about 30 minutes to print.
1: Right, yeah, that's that's really, really fast. But uh, Everything else fit really well. Everything else, yeah, it fit. Uh, there's there's a handful of just like wish list parts that, that uh, I'll change for a future design. But, but I hope to just kind of hook this up to a stepper motor and be able to turn it yeah. a very specific amount. Uh, and so I, I did a simple test uh, earlier today where I put one of the input tubes into a bucket of water. I was actually hoping you just... would
0: put in the toilet. and
1: <laughs> Maybe That's tomorrow. That's what I would have done. Maybe, yeah, maybe tomorrow. And I, I just I just rotated it by hand, and lo and behold, it started sucking water up the tube. Uh, so it works fine. I uh, got a couple of pictures for that. Tomorrow, once we have the actual uh, – a shaft that will fit in the hole. Yep. Uh, without being a, like a ridiculous friction fit, I'll actually hook it up to uh, a drill and turn it. Uh, so I kind of have to. Oh, we should make a GIF. That'd be great. And so we can have it up on the blog post. Oh, and we should do uh, just a YouTube video. Uh, let's Let's see if we can have that thing printed and together for the release of the podcast. Okay. Cool. Oh, that's going to be rough. That's going to be Because <laughs> <laughs> be I'll tough. be able to finish the notes by 10-ish a.m., so we have one hour. Okay, maybe maybe, maybe just keep an eye on our Twitter accounts then. Yeah. And we'll, we'll post it up there. Yeah, we'll so. post
0: it up on the Macrofab. Yeah, Twitter. at
1: MacroNinjaneer is mine. Yeah,
0: and we'll be on the Macrofab uh, Twitter, and we'll put it on the Macrofab YouTube channel. Cool. So, yeah. Even if it fails, you'll see it. I actually really hope it pumps and then immediately catches on fire. <laughs> just it's just spinning PLA and it
1: catches on fire. Yeah. Well, I use some. I used. I actually got a little fancy and I used skateboard ball bearings for the pinch rollers.
0: I actually said it was a really fancy uh, fidget spinner. It is. It is. It's very. It's
1: a really fancy fidget spinner, yep. and it's actually pretty big too because Parker's three uh, D printer can do big ish. Yeah, it's a uh, the 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 six, diameter is six mind. and a half, six yeah. and a quarter. Yeah, by in the uh, so it's a, it's a it's a disc, basically, and the thickness is, like, one and three quarters inch, so it took a lot of filament. Now, should we should we actually
0: record it pumping water out of the toilet or actually just get a bucket? If if, if
1: Chris, the CEO, walks in and we're pumping from one toilet to <laughs> another toilet, <laughs> I might get fired for doing that. <laughs> I'm just
0: like I'm, like, I'm just recording it. Don't mind me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. uh, No, I'll just look
1: at him and be like, it's for the podcast.
0: (laughs) It's for the podcast.
1: Yeah. It's for Uh, marketing. Yeah. I don't know. We'll figure
0: figure
1: it out. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. But it's it's, it's been a really cool, very fast turnaround project. I mean, I had the conversation with my buddy like four days ago, and I have something that will work tomorrow. Yeah, we were printing it
0: like nonstop the past three days. Oh, yeah.
1: Like (laughs) 11-hour prints kind of thing. Yeah. So, um, and, and, and the kind of one of the end results, have you heard of craft beer pie? No. So there's a lot of, um, beer controllers or brewery controllers that are popping up for, uh, raspberry pies. There's brew pie. Uh, I've heard of brew pie. And there's, there's a handful of others. Uh, and they're all trying to accomplish the same thing in the same territory. However, uh, craft beer pie is, they're, they're one of the newest ones. Mm-hmm. And they just seem kind of promising. I, I've been looking at their their stuff. I'm going to play around with it hopefully this weekend, just like install it on my Pi and uh, and give it a go. But I hope to potentially be able to use this pump with their interface such that I can just click on a touchscreen and say, I want three gallons from this pot to that pot, yep. and this thing will turn the appropriate amount. So because I've been, since my Jeep is pretty much done, mm-hmm.
0: Um, Steven's actually going to come over this weekend and help me finish some of the last, like, making sure body panels fit right and stuff.
1: And Parker's going to help work on some speakers.
0: Yes. Um, we should, like, take pictures and post those, too. Sure. Um, but after that, I was going to fix up my rig because they've been getting theirs together, and I was going to go a different route. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to weigh it.
1: Oh, for to to detect volumes? Yeah. That's so a good idea. Mine, I'm going to do weighing. So. Mm-hmm. Which which works if you know the density of whatever you're weighing. Water, yeah. <laughs> water. I hope we know the Eight, density. Eight point three five pounds per gallon, right? Yeah. At sixty-eight degrees, somewhere around there. Yeah,
0: yeah. So it can even be fancier. It can take the temperature and then do the density. Oh, and then
1: recalculate. Yeah,
0: yeah. Recalculating.
1: I, you know, I I'd actually thought of that doing it that way myself too. Uh, But uh, I want my – I don't want the top of my brew cart to have scales on it. Uh, So I was like, well – and then if I didn't want them to be visible, I'd have to get really fancy about – I was like, you know what? I'm going to just design a pump.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I was thinking about that way because that's actually – I was going to have my controller basically read the scale. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how I was going to go. But I I actually really – I've enjoyed trying to figure out how to make this pump print. So –
1: yeah, yeah, and and once the the what I really want to do is okay. So right now the pump is completely proof of concept. You would yeah. never actually well, has, use what it, it I has have. no mounting points exactly. There's yeah. no way besides
0: gluing it together, so you can't maintain it or anything. Right,
1: and and a peristaltic pump, uh, the 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 parts hose. wear. Yeah. Uh, so uh, after X amount of hours, you have to replace the hose, which is cheap, but you have to be able to do it. So the the result the the plan is tomorrow will prove if this works at all yeah which i expect it to yeah it should. then be. i'm going to redesign it with proper bosses with mounting screws and, and use a like stainless metal shaft i'm gonna yeah uh, mcmaster car has a perfect shaft that fits right through skateboard uh, bearings and uh it's already cut for a key and and you can just cut your own key lengths. Yep. Uh, so all of it can just go together real smooth and real easy. So I, I would like to reprint it, but with all the fanciness. But I also want, uh, if possible, to have it such that a stepper motor mounts directly to the body of this. Yep. So the whole thing is like an all-in-one package. Yeah. So
0: you screw it. And we'll probably print it at like you know almost a hundred percent infill
1: and. Right. them. Oh yeah 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 like like twenty four hour. Print jobs. Yeah, and uh, I'll probably
0: take the printer home
1: and just print it on the Saturday. <laughs> well, and the thing on top of that is, the tubing that I have going through that is a really thick wall silicon tubing, which is great, but it doesn't necessarily prevent uh, the hot liquid that's going through there from you know it's not an insulator, a real great one. Yeah. And so, uh, th- there is a chance that boiling liquid would be going through this for yeah. extended periods of time. So it's got to be able to withstand hot temperatures also. Yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of fun design things like nylon. I had a lot of fun building this in uh, SketchUp. Yeah, nylon is probably what we'll get to print it out. Of. Yeah, it'll be it'll be fun. Regardless, we'll we'll see we'll see if it actually does something tomorrow or if it catches on fire. Yeah, and you got <laughs> if long... it catches on fire, I owe you another six pack of beer. Yeah. <laughs>
0: So what's this uh, DS-18B20 temp sensor? Have you have you seen this before, this temp no. sensor? Okay. So the... Actually, qu- I almost Googled, because you gave me the notes yeah. that you want to talk about. I almost Googled that, and I'm like, eh, let's even talk about it.
1: Great. Okay. So... Explain. I've heard of this temp sensor before, the DS-18B20. Sort of. Sort of and sort of not. It's kind of a popular one, but at the same time a little bit not. So regardless, this this temp sensor, what's special about Schroeder's it is temp sensor? it is unbelievably cheap. It's made by Maxim. Uh it's a three-wire temp sensor. You apply power, ground and it just spits out one wire data. Huh. And it is programmable from 9 to 12 bits. Uh and it it, it is guaranteed half a degree Celsius accuracy. From negative ten to positive eighty-five degrees Celsius, hmm. so that works well for your mashing temperatures. Uh, the thing is, in singles, it's like a dollar I bought five of them off of Amazon, fully waterproof, at one meter long for twelve bucks, and it plugs directly into um, a Raspberry Pi. Without someone's, anything in between.
0: Someone's already written the, the driver software for it. Though.
1: Well, Craft Beer Pie already has that. Oh. Basically, all you do is in the interface, you just pull up, you just click the add button, and you add a temperature sensor, and, it and name one. it, and tell it what GPIO, uh, GPIO pin it's on, or what address it's at, and bam, you're reading temperature immediately. Nice. It doesn't require any kind of signal conditioning. And so for 12 bucks, I can have five extra sensors right now. Uh, and that's pretty freaking yeah, awesome. Yeah, we'll have to post that. Yeah, it's and, a, and
0: the Amazon link. Too. It's
1: really cool. Or like I said, if you want them in, in singles, they're like a dollar eighty five off of. I think Newegg was selling them actually. Huh. But uh, so the, the the brewing community has started to get into these things, and uh, you can find them now in uh, half inch NPT fittings. Ooh. So you could screw them directly right into, into your pot, your pot yeah. uh, and uh, you get you get digital information right from it.
0: For our international listeners, NPT is National Pipe Thread.
1: It's the tapered thread, such that it seals.
0: Yeah, it's a pipe. Yeah, so as you tighten it, it gets it basically compresses the threads. Yeah. and and tightens up.
1: Or, or 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 if you're in America and go to Home Depot, it's uh, what FPT and MPT. Yeah,
0: that's because. I think, that, I, think it's, terrible. I think
1: it's purple and blue is yeah. the way they do, so do Depot's it. So Home Depot is
0: the only one that calls it female pipe thread and male pipe thread.
1: Which is absolute garbage. Stop doing that yeah. Home Depot. It's not called that. It's yeah. National Pipe it's Thread. It's NPT. Yeah, There is also a BPT. Well, it's
0: British pipe thread. Right. Which is a different.
1: Which is a pain in the ass.
0: Well, if you're in, in the UK, it's probably not.
1: No, of course not. I bet but... you
0: NPT is a pain in the ass over there.
1: <laughs> yeah so we do um almost all brewing stuff is is N- npt, NPT. Yeah. yeah so there's some straight thread stuff but not much yeah it's rare if you buy if you buy a valve or if you buy a pump fitting or if you buy anything really it's going to be almost 99 of the time half inch npt yeah uh so in other words you can get this temp sensor such that it screws into anything. whatever port yep. you have and it's almost guaranteed to work just slap some pipe tape on it and, and you're good
0: yeah anything at you can buy at the uh, homebrew shop that's right yeah. cool yeah. So we'll go into the pick of the week the pal and this is not a product or project or anything but it's a cool question that i'm going to ask steven mm. that i found on reddit and it was on the uh, ece subreddit it is a uh, how to measure an op amp input impedance Hmm. So, like, how, like, if you had to measure the input impedance over a sweep of frequencies, how would you do it? I have no idea.
1: Measure the input impedance, yes, of an op amp, of an op amp, op-amp. across a handful of frequencies. Let's just
0: say let's start with DC because that's probably the easiest.
1: Uh. Well. Okay. I, I would be, say you. Well, the, the DC. Okay, so DC isn't gonna. The reason why D C won't really count is because that's already called out on the data sheet. If you look at well, the no, input I'm saying bias is current. If you just got an op
0: amp and it has this the the laser etching is sanded off. Okay. And so got you just you. know these are the inputs and it's powered up.
1: How do you measure it? I was okay. thinking you have to measure the current. Well, okay, so take a step back and like look at what the so the input of an op amp is two transistors. Yep. Uh, you got one transistor for an inverting terminal and one for a non-inverting terminal. So you're, basically the inputs go right to the bases of those. Mm-hmm. Now those could be FETs. Those could be BJTs. They could be JFETs. They could be a handful of things. They could be Darlington connections. You have no clue. Each one of those has unique characteristics about it. However, the goal of... Almost every op amp out there is for that impedance to be through the roof. Yes. So without without like knowing what that op amp is, the first thing you can take in uh, like just know is that it's going to be really high. Yes. uh, Until you get high in frequency, but regardless, just take it on faith that it's going to be high. Yeah. Let's
0: say you're you're talking about audio, so you're going up to
1: twenty kilohertz. Okay. Okay. So so okay. So here's what I would do. Uh. I would, take a res- I, would, I would configure the op-amp such that it was in a buffer configuration. Okay. In other words, I would take the inverting terminal, and I would connect that to the output. Yep.
0: So it's a, it's a voltage follower mode.
1: Voltage follower mode, right. Yep. So my, my the input that I'm measuring effectively would be, at that point, the non-inverting terminal, the plus mm-hmm. side. Uh, I would put a resistor in series with that uh, with that line, then I would take two really high impedance voltage probes and I would inject a signal through the resistor into the op amp and I would measure the voltage difference across whatever that resistor I put in there. And by measuring the voltage difference and the current going in, you can calculate the input impedance mm-hmm. and then you sweep the frequency to get response. Yeah, uh, You wouldn't know what value that resistor would need to be, so you'd just have to play with it. Yeah, Because um, certain resistors would give you probably just garbage data, uh, especially if you talked about, you know, if you put 100 ohms in series with a tera ohm, you're going to get nothing. Yep. It's not going to work well for you, so you'd have to play with what your uh, series re- uh, resistor is, but if you know its value to a really high precision, you can then get the rest yeah of so my i had an extension of the question
0: okay is what if because one of the big things with audio is matched sure. transistors yeah what yeah, if yeah. you wanted matched inputs on your op amp uh okay well so here's the thing i don't know if that matters but i just thought it was an inter- would be an interesting that thing is okay about.
1: so it is the goal of every op amp for those two transistors to be matched Yes. There is no op-amp on Earth where they are matched. Yes, uh, correct.
0: Cool, because manufacturing differences. Exactly. Yeah.
1: They are very, very close. And one of the ways you... Okay, so so check check this out. This is this is kind of like Electronics 101 in terms of like op-amps. What does the output of a real op-amp do? The difference If you, in the if inputs. You, it, uh, if you, but, but if you take both the inputs... And you connect them together. So you connect just the positive to, to the, the negative. negative yeah. uh, on a real amp amp, what does the output do? It should be nothing. It should be nothing, but it is never, never nothing. nothing. So you just have to measure what
0: the output is. And if it's low enough, then you know your input and out or your your non inverting and inverting is close enough to what you need.
1: Well, so here's the thing. Yes and no. That's that's close. If you connect the two together, the up amp is gonna ping to rail, either one of the rails. Okay. Because there is a slight difference between the two. Whichever one wins, wins, it goes that way, guaranteed. So if you fix one of those inputs, uh, like I don't know, ground one of them, and then swing the other one, you'll be able to find the input offset voltage. And that input offset voltage is effectively a measurement of how non-matched those two transistors are. Cool. So, well, yeah, what, you know, if you have one at zero and you slightly raise the other one and let's say the op-amp changes states at, I don't know, four microvolts, the difference between the two transistors is four microvolts. Yeah. Uh, so We should try building something like that. We should. It's hard because well, it's, like, really precise well, stuff. we that,
0: remember that... Um, that uh, adc we found a couple weeks back that was like a 24 bit
1: oh yeah for like
0: three bucks or something like that yeah 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 yeah. that'd be cool yeah build something like that and get some precision test equipment and like buy got it buy the cheapest op amp we can find uh ua 741 okay and then and then buy a like, the middle-of-the-road audio, which is the 45... Uh, four, 4558. Yeah, that's why I'm using the Jeep Bluetooth radio switcher. Yeah. And then buy, and like... Good. And then buy a Primo
1: one. And then... I got it. This and measure no, them. This one will be a skills challenge, okay? Yeah. Get this. The OPA-129. It is a unbelievable op-amp. OPA-129. Mm-hmm. It was originally designed by Burr Brown... Uh, I think TI makes it now. Uh, so this op-amp, get this, it it is such high precision that they changed the internal uh, pin diagram because the standard op-amp pin diagram has too much leakage. So the pins <laughs> go to different, uh, different connections. It's like a $10 op-amp in singles. But here's what's crazy about it. The input uh, current. Into the op amp. It for most op amps, is, is in like the range of like a couple microvolts. This op amp has a maximum of one hundred femto amps, which is a tenth of a pico amp. Yeah. In other words, one hundred times ten to the negative fifteen amps. The thing about this this chip is you. Most of the time, you have to use it on a ceramic substrate because FR four PC board material is too noisy uh, it conducts more oh, right, than uh, what this thing does. Okay. Okay.
0: Yeah. It has, it has, um, to lower impedance than the input impedance of this chip.
1: That's right. Crazy. So it would be, I don't know how we would measure a hundred femto amps, even with the Keith ridiculous meter. Yeah, uh, we were digit. getting down to nanovolts. We'd have to, I don't know. We'd have to work it out, but that would be a fun challenge. Yeah. Uh, uh, That's a that's a really cool op amp. I want an excuse to use that op amp. (laughs) I I think the you can get it. Problem is we have to get something that can measure that. I think the data sheet says like applications for that thing is like uh, photo detectors. You know, if you need to detect a single photon, uh, this op amp is the one that like it's a good candidate for that. It has enough
0: it has enough accuracy and precision to do that.
1: It's got it's got ridiculous gain. It's got low noise. And the input offset current is just, is ridiculous. Yeah. So OPA-129, it's a cool one.
0: Yeah. That, that will be an interesting project if we can do it. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so I have another pick of the week. Okay. This is a project, and it's the IoT of Happiness is Uh-oh. my title for it. It's a Raspberry Pi Tracks Office Happiness. Found <gasps> as a project on Hackaday. Basically, it's a Raspberry Pi hooked up to four buttons – and so, when you come into work, you press how happy you feel on a scale of one to four, or how sad you feel, I guess, if it's a one. Um, and then when you leave, you do the same thing. And so it tracks overall happiness of your office. Hmm. Um, I thought it was interesting.
1: That's. I, I don't. I don't know if four it's bits like, of resolution <laughs> is enough. <laughs> two bits of resolution. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, two bits of. Re- <laughs> yeah, two bits. Of resolution. Um, it's. It's.
0: It's like the. Uh, um, Civilization Four, Civilization Four, Five. I can't remember whatever, whichever one they introduced the happiness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know of, it's definitely. Uh,
1: yeah. Um, I think it's an
0: interesting project. It,
1: yeah, it's it's kind of like when your manager sends out like, how satisfied are you at oh, work? HR and, reviews. Yeah, HR reviews, oh, that boy. kind of crap. But yeah. it's but it's like. It's like Every a, day, it's a tactile HR review.
0: Yeah, you can get Clipfolio to plug into it and make fancy graphs. Church will love that. Oh. <laughs> sure, put them up at the <laughs> quarterly meetings. Yeah, yeah, quarterly meetings. That's great. Uh, All right, so I have the RFO ties into that. Okay, should we build one for MacroFab? Oh, but but it has uh, so arcade ra- buttons on it. Yeah. So going back to the original purpose of the RFO, rapid fire opinion, should we build one? No,
1: <laughs> of course not. <laughs> Actually, no. I, I, it's it's kind of cool. It'd be fun to. Uh, it'd be fun to you know start gathering data on that. But yeah, like, yeah, yeah. but I don't. Nobody would take that crap seriously. Seriously. It would just
0: be like it, it, zero, 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 or
1: four. Yeah. It's like there's it no in between. No, our devs would somehow hack into it and make it do negative one. So negative that it, one. it takes away happiness. It takes away happiness. <laughs> Uh, and then the other RFO
0: is, so last December, it's coming up soon, Mm-hmm. the end of the year, is last December we did the first annual Star Wars Christmas special. That's right. Should we do a second?
1: Are you asking me or well, are you asking our listeners? I'm, I'm asking our <laughs> listeners
0: because um, it was actually a pretty popular podcast. Yeah. No one watched the video. Well, it, it, I, I think it's probably more like nobody knew there was a video. So this video on our YouTube channel of – Two hours with Stephen Josh and I
1: in in the, and Chris a little bit talking yeah. about Star Wars in the Castle Bravo recording studio yeah. if you want to see where the podcast goes down, yeah it's up on youtube it's up on YouTube
0: um so should we do a second one like comment or subscribe people well, if you say first <laughs> annual then you then you know you're gonna need a second second annual, annual? yeah. yeah. Well, I think it was kind of the joke. Is it's the first annual and we never do it again. But there's so much
1: stuff we can do and <laughs> we, we could we could absolutely do another one. Yeah. Um, so if you guys like that, I guess let us know. Yeah. If even one person says do it, we we'll will probably do it. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> um
0: people seem to like the uh that that that, that uh podcast. Yeah. But uh let us know if you want us to do a second one. Yeah. We'll we'll prep up some more stuff. Yeah. And so that would end this podcast, right? Uh, anything? Is, is there another Star Wars coming out this this December? Yes. This oh, Episode 8? Episode 8, yep. Okay, well. And we get to talk about Rogue One. That came out after this podcast.
1: Uh, rapid fire opinion. Rogue One, thumbs up, thumbs down. Thumbs up. Me too. Best Star Wars ever. Really? Heard that here. Yep. Okay. Yep. Oh.
0: Even better than, than episode one episode is...
1: episode it beats episode five yes okay I might have to uh, put in a request for us to have a podcast Star Wars special just to talk about that yeah cool okay well then that will be the macfab engineering podcast we were your host Stephen Craig and Parker Doman take it easy guys later.
0: Thank you, yes you our listener for downloading our show. If you're not subscribed to the podcast yet, click that subscription button. That way you get the latest MEP episode right when it releases. We and would love Ah. Should we just keep going? Yeah, we should just keep going, right? And would love to hear you review us on iTunes. Why why did I say it that way? Anyways, uh, lastly, <laughs> if uh, you have a cool idea, project or topic that you'd want Steven and I to discuss, email us at podcast at or hit us up at Twitter at macrofab. And we'll just keep that one.
1: There we go.
0: <laughs> so yeah, that that that'd be it.